Well, good morning once again. Welcome to our series Standouts. My name is Dion. Today, uh, got a little puzzle in front of you. I want you, to, I want you to fill in this blank. How would you fill in this blank? God is what? Good love. Someone say mighty or something? What else? Old. From everlasting to everlasting, that's true. Uh, faithful, someone said. What else? Great, perfect, consistent, patient, forgiving. It kids, we have all of our kids joining us today because it's a family worship weekend this weekend, and this is fun. You get to yell out in church, see what you're missing. Um, yeah. What? Give a couple more. What's that? Present. Universal? Is that what that? I think that's what I heard. All-knowing. Gosh, you guys are good. Uh, so if, if I were going to fill in this phrase, I would be much simpler than some of you. I would just say God is good. Now, just because I say this is the answer and someone else agreed with me doesn't mean it's the right answer. It's just my answer. That's the first thing that comes to mind when I have to fill in this blank. God is good. And, and that's a phrase that has been said quite often. There's kind of a whole back and forth with God is good all the time, all the time God is good. So a lot of us know it. Uh, today, I want to ask you, if you agree with this statement, you may fill in the blank some other way, but if you agree with this statement, and I also realize that some of you maybe aren't in a place where you yet can say you agree with this statement, and that's okay. Maybe you're still struggling to know for sure whether God is good, or maybe you're enduring something in life right now that has you wondering. But if you can agree with this statement, God is good, I wonder, how do you know? What makes you believe that's true? How, how do you know that he's good? On what do you base this? For you, is it that he's God, so he must be? It's the you know, moral or uh, religious or pious answer. Or, or is it because there's goodness in your life and you figure it has to come from somewhere? Have you heard other people talk about it? Is it kind of a word of mouth thing for you? Or, or maybe have you experienced, have you personally experienced the goodness of God in a, a deep and personal way? Right now, I just want you to think about this. If you agree with this statement, what is it that makes you believe that it's true? Why do you say that that's true for you? And don't shout it out, just this is for yourself. Why do you believe that's true? How do you know? And then I want to ask you, what would it take for you to change your mind? For you to think differently? See, part of Jesus' PR problem while he was walking the earth was first that he made claims that, that just upset people. He claimed to be God in flesh. And for some people, that immediately made God sound less good. If God can put on our flesh, if he can become like us, then maybe he's not as great as we think. And so people struggled with that claim of Jesus. We're looking at these in our midweek series, um, that Jesus was God in human flesh. But not only did they struggle with his claims, they actually, they also struggled, I should say, with what Jesus actually did. Not just what he claimed about himself, but the things that he did. Because people looked at the things that Jesus did, and, and sometimes they had a hard time reconciling them with a good religious teacher. Jesus did things that were morally questionable, that people weren't sure were even right. We've talked about some of these in the series a couple of weeks ago. We talked about how Jesus invited a known tax collector, sinner. I know tax collectors don't sound like a bad thing to you now, or, or maybe they do, depending on how that whole tax filing is going for you so far, but 
Jesus invited a known sinner, a tax collector, into his inner circle to be one of his followers. And, and people were aghast. This is not what good rabbis do. And not only that, then he, he dined with people, had table fellowship with people, celebrated and had parties with people who were known crooks and swindlers and addicts and drunks and, and all kinds of other immoral people. And, and he spent time with those and people were like, how can you defend that? Spending time with people like that? Then Jesus broke all kinds of Sabbath laws. He, he healed people on the Sabbath and, and he violated Sabbath rules that were, that were so sacred to the Hebrew people and he just seemed to blow through a lot of those and, and not really care what they said and, and that got him into trouble. And, and as a result, there were all these people who, who, who lived in this tension because on one side, Jesus, he was doing these miracles. He was doing things that only God could do, only someone who was from God could do. And yet, these other times, he was behaving in ways that caused them to stop short of being able to call him good. Because he simply didn't behave like a good guy should. Clearly he was a standout. But not in the way that they always liked or expected. Today we're going to meet a guy who had to wrestle with this question. And, um, and it comes from Luke chapter 18. So you can open up your Bibles right now if you're here in the room or if you're at home. Luke chapter 18. Or you can look along here on the screen. Uh, this guy is a guy who's wrestling with the tension about who Jesus is, but also wrestling with greater questions about goodness and what that really means. So let's look at it. It says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, uh, I don't know exactly what this means. He's, he's some sort of magistrate or public official. He's a guy of status. And surprisingly, he comes up to Jesus and he asks him this question, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm surprised by that question because what we know about the guy already is that, that he's, he's a guy of great status. Another gospel says that he's young, so he's young and he's got great status. We find out later that he's wealthy. He's very wealthy. We'll also find out later that he's a very moral guy, that he's, he's got morality in his corner. And so here you have this guy who's young, he's got status or influence, he's got wealth, he's got morality working on, it, working on, his, uh, on his behalf too, and yet there's something missing in his life. And so he comes and seeks Jesus and he says, Jesus, how do I get, how do I get eternal life? And I find that to be true over and over and over again with us as people, that no matter what you have in this life, no, no matter how fully you live this life, status, wealth, morality, it's not enough. There's something deeper in us. Ecclesiastes said that God put eternity in our hearts. There's something deeper in us that longs for something more than that. We're, we're learning about that, about unchurched people in our community. They too are, are longing for that. So uh, this, this, this guy with, with it all, basically, is still searching for something. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and look at how Jesus answers him. Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We'll come back to that in a second. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And look at how the guy answers. He says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now, uh, the the man comes up to Jesus and asks a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus turns a question back on him. Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Part of this is a test from Jesus. It's a test. 
to see what this guy really believes about him. Does he believe Jesus is just a teacher? Does he understand that he's something more, that he is from God and, and therefore worthy of being called good? But there's a deeper test here of, of just what, what is goodness all about? See, the question Jesus asks him is, why do you call me good? Did you hear the question the guy actually answered? It wasn't this question. The question the guy actually answered was this question. Why do you call yourself good? Jesus says, do not kill, do not steal, honor your father and mother. And the guy goes, yep, check, I've done it. In fact, not only have I done those things well, but I've done those things well ever since I was a little boy. Anyone find that interesting? See, see, Christians, religious people, all of us, we often struggle with a preoccupation with this question. Defending our our own goodness, explaining our own goodness, trying to convince other people of our goodness. And it's kind of a way that we either puff ourselves up with pride or we we shrink down in, in shame. But we are preoccupied with this question. Even when Jesus isn't talking about that, that's not his question, that's not his concern. He's saying, why do you call me good? We have this way of consistently turning it around to make it all about, all about us. And that's a fixation of this, this, uh, this ruler. And so he says, well, hey, uh, Jesus, I've followed all the laws, so I must be a good person. And Jesus says, okay, you want to play it that way? Here's his response. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, I want you to take a test here really quickly. You can't fail, so don't worry. Um, But as you look at this statement or you hear this statement from Jesus, what phrase jumps out to you when you heard me read that or you read that? (laughs) Yeah, I hear you saying it. Me too. Sell everything? That jump out to anyone else? Is that the part you hear loud and clear? Sell everything? Um, Does that scare, now that I've pointed out, does that scare the daylights out of anyone here? Anybody? You're liars. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, right? Because here's what I know. That when God says, give me a tenth of your possessions, we're like, I could never give up a tenth. How would I pay my bills? We don't even do that. Jesus is here. D- do you see this? Jesus is here saying, sell everything. Why does that not freak you out like it freaks me out? Because if Jesus is serious, if he's to be taken seriously, and this is something we should do, then, then this, is, this is scary, scary stuff. And yet if that's what you notice, that sell everything, if that's what jumps out to you, then, then, then here's, here's the test. Uh, here's what that reveals. That if that's what you notice, if that's what jumps out at you, chances are that you are preoccupied, you are fixated, just like I am, just like the guy in the story is, with your own goodness. Because the point of this, I don't think is this line right here, sell everything. I think the real powerful line is this one. Come, follow me. See, see, this line has everything to do not with our goodness. That's what this is about. I, I got I to gotta prove to you, God, that I'm worthy by selling everything. No, no, no. This is not about our goodness. This, this is all about God's goodness. But this, uh, this, this rich guy, this ruler, um, his preoccupation is a lot, like, a lot like ours. He just hears the sell everything. It blows his mind. And it says when he heard this, he became very sad. 
because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich, rich to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And, and I'll say, who then can be saved? See, part of what these people understood or what they believed about life is that if you, were, if you were a God follower and you were rich, that was a sign that you were pleasing to God because you didn't get rich on your own. God must have made you rich. And so if you were wealthy, that was a sign of God's favor. And so they're, they're looking at this, this, this guy who has is, who is, got status and he's got wealth and, and he's a good guy, he's a moral guy, and, and he's got this wealth that is a confirmation of God's blessing or favor on him. And they're looking at him, and Jesus is saying, I'll tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. And I know some people have read commentaries, and they're like, well, there was this gate in the city. It was called the eye of the needle. I think Jesus is actually, he's, he's using literal terms here. And he's saying, it is easier for a big old camel to fit through a tiny eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And these people are sitting there going, what? We, we, we thought the rich people were the people you loved. How else did they get rich? See, this blew their minds. For us sitting here today, this should blow our minds for another reason. Do you know that if you're sitting here in this room, if, if you're tuning in on live stream, chances are this is true for you too. Do you know that we are in the top 0.1 wealthiest, uh, top uh, point one percentage of wealthiest people in the world? Top 0.1%, not 1%, 0.1%. Some of us are 0.01%. When it comes to worldly wealth, Jesus wasn't speaking to a suburban middle class audience because I know that's how we judge ourselves. We're like, well, I'm not wealthy. That guy looks like he. No, no, he's speaking to a global audience here. There are people who are reading the same passage in other parts of the world today, and they're looking at us and they're going, oh, I know who those wealthy people are. Those Americans, they got big houses, they got cars, right? So this should freak us out for another reason because we are the wealthy, whether you feel it or not. It's true. And if this is true, what Jesus is saying, that it's easier for a big old camel to fit through the eye of a needle, then it's, it's, it's easier for that to happen than for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. We have to be just, you should be frightened right now. And so should I. But look what Jesus says next. Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. In other words, in other words, if your preoccupation is your goodness, and you think your job is to demonstrate just how good you are, how far you're willing to go, all the crazy things that you're going to do, um, then, then it's going to be impossible for you. If, if you're all about confirming your goodness, this, is, this isn't going to work. But if it's about my goodness, if it's about God's goodness, then suddenly the impossible becomes possible. Come back to that. Uh, Peter is hearing this, and he's, his mind is still blown. I don't think he heard what Jesus just said. And so Peter, one of his disciples, said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Like, we're in, Jesus, right? We're good. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is so confusing. In one moment, Jesus is saying to one guy, sell everything, then come follow me. The other moment, uh, he's saying to Peter, yeah, you, you got to leave your wife and your kids. And I know some of the men in the room got really excited about that. And they're like, if I can just take my fishing pole, I'm good. Sign me up, Jesus, right? Uh, what is this all about? 
See, if you think that this is somehow a test to demonstrate how far you're willing to go, what you're willing to do, your devotion, your faithfulness, you're dealing with the wrong question. See, I have a, I have a hunch, and I can't prove it, but I have a hunch that what this is actually about, this confusing teaching, and it's the reason that I'm not going to stand here in front of you today and tell you that you need to sell everything, and I'm not going to stand here in front of you today and tell you that you need to leave your family behind in your house and everything else. Because I think that this crazy teaching from Jesus that stirred everyone up and got them all you know, ruffled, I, I think the point of it is Jesus answering that question we asked at the very beginning. How do you know? How do you know that God is good? How do you know? And see, I, I think what Jesus is doing, because the guy came, good teacher, and Jesus says, how do you... Why do you call me good? How do you know that I'm good? And, and then the guy sidestepped it. I think Jesus is just coming back to that thing. How do we know for certain that God is good? And Jesus is giving us the answer. Jesus says, follow me. See, if you follow me, then you'll know. See, you can't know God's goodness just by sitting in a church pew or going to a Bible study, or uh, you know, just doing the things that Christians do. I mean, you, you can know it. You can hear about it. I mean, you're listening right now, I hope. And, and, and so you can know it, but you, you can't know it. You know the difference, right? You get the difference between knowing it and knowing it. You, you can't know the goodness of God unless you're willing to do what Jesus invites you to do, unless you're willing to follow him. See, this follow me thing, it's an invitation into a great adventure with Jesus. It's an invitation into a journey where, where we're following Jesus. And on that journey, and it's only on that journey that we will get to experience, to taste and see and know that God is good, but, but it, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen just sitting here. It happens when we answer Jesus' call and we're willing to follow him. See, it's not about what we're willing to leave behind. It's not about uh, showing off our own goodness. That's, that's not the point. And yet, it's also true that in order to follow Jesus, there will be things that you have to leave behind. Uh, Doug Moss reminded me of this this week, that every great adventure story le begins with someone leaving something behind. Either, either someone dies or something's stolen or something's taken or they leave home. And, and it all begins with leaving something behind. But, but it's not about, it's, it's the danger of this and, and just hearing this is that somehow we treat it as a prescription or a checklist or a formula of what it takes to be God-pleasing. And so we hear this and we're like, oh, okay, well, step one. Sell everything. You know, step two, leave the spouse and, and the kids. But, but this isn't a checklist. You understand that, right? Whether you understand it, you understand that because I don't know that anyone in this room has sold everything. You understand that there's something going on here. See, what this is, is not a checklist. It's an invitation to follow Jesus. And what it looks like for you is going to be different from what it looks like for me. And that's why the rich ruler gets one answer about what he's going to have to leave behind. 
And then he turns to Peter and he gives another answer. Those aren't your answers. Those aren't my answers. I can't take those answers and apply them to myself because you know what that's doing? That's taking this invitation to follow Jesus and it's turning into a checklist. It's turning it into a formula. It's turning it into some sort of precondition of my acceptance with God. It's making it all about my goodness. The, The real point of all of this is, is not that when we follow Jesus, we get to prove how good we are, how devoted. It's only when you follow Jesus do you get to see and know that he is good. And we call this being on a God-directed journey. See, these are the ways we, we know God is calling us as a church to stand out as as a church together, but as, as Christians who call this church their home, to be people of unconditional acceptance, to live with a true-to-life approach, not being all otherworldly and spiritual, but, but being grounded in the reality of life, that we're all about inspiring connections and getting people connected to what they need most. And this week we're talking about what it means to be on a God-directed journey. See, people in, in Jesus' day when he walked the earth, they didn't get this. I think we still don't get this. We want the checklist, we want the blueprint, we want the template, we want the roadmap. But Jesus, what he invites us to do is is just to follow him. And he says, you know what, I'll be your guide. And we say, Jesus, where are we going? And he said, don't worry about it, just follow me. And we say, Jesus, what should I pack? And he said, don't worry about it, just follow me. And we say, Jesus, are we going to go through Nashville? Because I'd like to go there. And he goes, no, just, just, just follow, just follow me. When are we going to get there, Jesus? Just follow me. How long is it going to take? Just follow. Follow me. And while that seems like a, a crazy thing, here's what we get. Here's the promise of what we receive. We get to discover just how good he is. And see, that's part of what makes this church different. For us here at St. John, it's about a God-directed journey. That means it's not about memorizing a bunch of Bible passages so you can throw them around and prove that you're such a good Christian because you know more Bible passages than I do. I don't care if you ever know a single Bible passage. What we want for you is for you to know God's character. To know what those Bible passages mean. Because they teach about a God and who he truly is. Not who we have made him to be, but who he truly is. And that's what I want you to know about his character, about his love, his grace. Like the songs that we sang today are so powerful. And that's why here it's not about your pastors telling you what you have to do. It's all about inviting you into an experience of of God's own goodness for yourself as you take steps on your journey. And that's why we don't teach some sacred checklist of all the things that a good Christian does. Instead, we're, we're trying to teach you how to hear from God, how to follow God. And yet we're teaching you rhythms and disciplines that you can put into your life so that you can get yourself into the place where you can hear and follow God. But, but it's all about getting you to hear from God himself so that you can follow him. And other people are part of that, but, but that's ultimately what it's about. And that's why here as a church, we're, we're not about you know, measuring ourselves against other people and going, you're spiritually ma- immature, you're spiritually mature. You're... No. This church, we're just all about celebrating next steps. Any next step. Because if you take a step, you know what that means? That means you're on a journey. That means you're going somewhere. That, that means you're moving somewhere. That means you must be following Jesus. And that even explains a lot about why we as a church do the things that we do, why we're such an innovative, future, you know, future-oriented, unconventional kind of church. It's not because we're trying to be different or we're trying to be cool or we're just trying to you know, be rebellious. 
See, for a long time now, a God-directed journey, put, put that back up. A God-directed journey, that's a part of our story. That's a part of our story as a church. Listening to God. Doing things that don't make sense to other church leaders. Doing things that don't make sense to you sometimes. And it's not just our pastors, it's, it's our leadership. God's blessed this church with leaders who just want to follow Jesus. And as a result, we've done things that, that maybe don't always make sense or, or people don't agree with. Or you, sometimes you're like, what's going on with that? But, but tell me this, tell me this. If you've been a part of this church for a long time, have we not experienced, have we not seen the goodness of God? Someone say amen to that? Yeah, amen, we have. Because it's, it's about following Jesus wherever he leads. And I don't want to underplay it. This God-directed journey thing, it's hard. Because you know what? It's not black and white. And I, I told you a couple weeks ago, I greatly prefer black and white. And, and there's no you know, template. There's no um, well-defined journey for us. And I can't look off of your script and go, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. I just got to sell everything. Easy, done. And now, now I know. And No, no, it's, it's harder than that. I've, I've got to listen to what Jesus is telling me to do. Not what he's telling the rich ruler to do. Not what he's telling Peter to do. I, I've got to listen to his calling on my life. And so you know what that means? That means that I might get it wrong sometimes, or at least I'm going to be afraid of getting it wrong, and I might step in the wrong way, or I might do the wrong thing, and what then? What happens if I do something wrong? What's that going to do to my goodness? Or that might mean that other people think I'm crazy. Actually, let me edit that. That means people most definitely will think I'm crazy, right? If you just start listening to God, and you don't, you don't follow the crowd, but you just listen to God, like, he's going to have you do things that... I mean, this, the Bible, story after story after story. Think about Noah building an ark, and people are like, that guy's nuts. Like, what's he doing? Over and over and over again. Abraham, leave your family. Jake, like, go to Egypt, Jacob. I mean, like, all, you get it, you get it. People are going to think you're crazy. That means there's no guarantee of specific results, or even a destination beforehand. Again, Jesus, where are we going? Just follow me. But I'd really feel more comfortable, Jesus, if you just tell me where we're going first and how long it's going to take and am I going to like it there? And Jesus says, hey, trust me. You know me, trust me. Just follow me. I gave my life for you. Just follow me. We have no idea what the cost might be either. What we might end up leaving behind if we take seriously this uh, invitation. This is not an easy invitation to accept. And I think that's why, I think that's why so many of us, instead of answering the invitation, accepting the invitation and following Jesus, I think that's why instead we, we turn to the same thing that the rich guy did in the text. We, you know, we, we turn to religion and the checklist and the templates and our own goodness. We, we turn to just try to prove ourselves to be okay rather than following God, because this is not easy to accept. And, and I don't know if you know this guy. Um, do anyone know him? Looks like a movie star, but he actually is just a star around here. This is Bob Ingle and his wife Jane. This is what happens when you put pictures on Facebook. I might steal them and put them on the TV someday in front of everybody at church. Um, so uh, this, this is Bob Ingle. Bob Ingle's a leader in our church, has been a leader for decades. Um, he's one of my leaders. He's the head of our elders. Um, and uh, Bob, the other day in one of our elders' meetings, just started talking about this very thing. And uh, as he started talking, I just, I, I felt like I felt 
the spirit at work. And I just started taking notes. I thought, man, I, there's something here that I've got to hold on to. But, but what he started saying was, he said, you know, lately, as I'm reading the Gospels, I just feel like God's nudging me to put myself fully in the place of one of the disciples. Just to see everything that Jesus is doing, not from my perspective now, but from their perspective. And he said, and here's, here's the conclusion I'm drawing as I'm doing this. As I do that, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm now a disciple and I'm just watching Jesus and I'm trying to figure this out. I am wondering, Jesus, what are you doing? And why are you making me so uncomfortable? Why, why are you having me go to these places that I shouldn't be going among these unclean people? And why are you having me talk to and touch unclean people? Everyone back home is now talking about me and my family's ashamed and, and they're shunning me and, and yet you're calling me to, to these crazy places and these crazy people and, and, and then Jesus, one day you look at me and you go, I want you to pair up two by two and I want you to go out and preach the kingdom to people and heal their diseases and cast out their demons and I'm going, I've never done any of this and he goes, just go and by the way, don't take anything with you on this journey, not even a money bag or an extra tunic, just, just go and I'm so confused. And I'm so stressed out because I don't understand why he's making this so difficult on me, why he's making this so confusing, why it's so uncomfortable. And as Bob was talking that day, like I said, I was was just taking notes and I'm like, you know what? He is absolutely right. I know for certain that had to be how those disciples felt. And do you know how I know for certain Because that's exactly what it feels like to follow him in the 21st century. And if you aren't saying every once in a while to to Jesus, if you aren't saying once in a while to God, why are you making me so uncomfortable? Why why are you having me do this stuff? I don't understand. I'm I'm confused. If you're not saying that once in a while, I, I just might suggest that maybe you aren't actually on the journey. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but maybe you haven't yet responded to this invitation to follow him. But here's what I also want you to know. That although this invitation is so hard to accept, it's not all hard and bad. See, here's, here's what Jesus promises. Look, look at these words again at the end of Luke 18, or the section we looked at today. He says all this stuff about following me, and yeah, you're going to have to leave things behind, and that may freak us out, but, but here's his promise. He says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God in order to follow me, he says, will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. See, see, how do I get, good teacher, eternal life? The answer is just follow me. Don't depend on your own goodness or try to prove yourself worthy. Just follow me and I'll lead you there. And if you follow me, not only will you receive eternal life, but you'll receive as many times as much as anything that you have to leave behind. Jesus promises this even in this life. Now, I don't know what these things are, and I'm not going to tell you that you're going to get a castle on the hill or a jet plane or any of those other things. Here's what I can tell you. Here's what I know you'll get from Jesus if you're willing to follow him. You will walk away with a deep understanding, having tasted and seen, and, and you will know without a doubt that God is good. And it doesn't matter what happens to you in life and it doesn't matter the next act of violence or political instability or or the things that hit close to home. Man, our church community, yesterday we buried an eight-year-old girl. This week we also lost a teenage girl due to mental illness. And man, just two, two young women, beautiful women taken 
too soon. And some people look at that and, and, it, and it shakes your faith or it makes you wonder. And yet, and yet, if you're willing to follow Jesus, here's what he'll do for you. In all things in life, he will help you understand so deeply that God is good. That even when you face those things, you won't be shaken. Because you will know that he's good. Uh, how many of you know her? Anybody? Wonder Woman. Um, actually, this is, this is who? This is Pua, Pua Kaufman, one of our student ministry directors. Uh, Pua is an extraordinary woman. If you don't know her, you're really missing out. Um, she, she was at our Tuesday morning message study this week, and uh, we were talking about this whole thing and how when you follow God, people think you're crazy sometimes and you don't know what it's going to be like, but how you get to experience his goodness. And, and she just opened up and shared, and she said, yeah, you know, when I was finished with college, I did a student ministry, a youth ministry internship. And as that was coming to an end, I just felt like God telling me, Pua, I don't want you to look for a job. I've got a job for you. And I'll find you with it. I don't, need you to, I don't want you to go looking. And, uh, and so the internship was getting closer to being over and all these older, wiser people were asking her, so Pua, you know, where are you going to next? What are you looking for? And she goes, I, I just, I just feel like God is calling me to sit still. And he said, he has a job for me and I'm not supposed to look. And of course, they said, oh, you're such a faithful... Ob-. No, they were like, you wonderfully naive 20-some-year-old woman. That's not how it works in the real world. Jobs don't find you, you know. And she, she just felt God telling, no, sit still. And that's part of the way we follow sometimes is by sitting still. And as she was sitting still, one day she got a call from Chris Toomey, who had an association with her back in eastern Tennessee at a university that Pua attended while Chris was a coach there. And, and, uh, and, and the call was, hey, I, I strongly want you to think about coming to St. John to help us in our student ministry. St. who? St. John? I mean, is that a Catholic church? What, St. John? Uh, that's not her tradition. And in St. Louis, I don't know anyone in St. Louis. But God had told her, I'll find a job for you. I'll bring it to you. And after she looked through this whole thing and, and looked at it, and she decided to come. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> But even today, just seeing all these students up here on the platform, and there are a lot of people who are North students. Pooh is one of them. I'm so glad she was willing to follow. Aren't you? Yeah. And I, I, could, tell you, I could tell you stories about other people on our staff, I, or maybe even these people. Um, I don't know if you know them. Uh, Diane and Tim Essela. F- a few years ago, they sat in my office, and they said, Pastor Dion, we just, we're just ready to put it all on the table and go all in for God. And I've known these people pretty well for a number, for probably 14 years. And, uh, and I just thought, you are some of the most surrendered, faithful, generous, giving people I've ever known. Like, what is there left for you to put on the table? And they're like, we, we, we just, we just want to, we don't want to hold anything back. And wherever God calls us, we want to go. And they said, we want you to begin to pray for us and just to know that's where our heart is. And maybe God will reveal something to you and, and we'd be open to it. Um, you know where they are today? They're in Cambodia, Sihanoukville, Cambodia. They're helping uh, lead our ministry that we began to kids and families called Stronghold, Stronghold Cambodia. And I'll tell you what, when they sat in my office, never was Cambodia in their mind, and that probably would have scared them to death. But if they were standing here today, you know what they would tell you? That although they had to leave behind kids and grandkids, and they've had grandkids born while they've been there, and that's been a really difficult thing, here's what they would tell you. That in following Jesus all the way to Cambodia, they now know in a deeper way. 
the goodness of God. Some of you know that's my story too. Over nine years ago, my wife was eight months pregnant and we felt God nudging us to come to St. Louis and we were sitting on a house that we couldn't sell in, the, in that horrible downturn and nothing made sense and we were leaving our family in Michigan, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, you know, depriving my kids of the ability to know their family in a, a deep way and still, like we go to Michigan, they know their family, but they, they, don't, they don't know their family like some of you have. And, and yet... Jocelyn and I just felt like God was telling us to come here, to follow him to St. Louis. And, and you know what? For me, I've always just wanted to be a person who follows Jesus, no matter what. And I don't, I don't know that I, I am all the time, but that's who I want to be. But I also knew, I just knew, and God revealed this to me, that I knew that if we would come, we would see more of his goodness. And I can't even begin to tell you how true that is how much of God's goodness we have seen and tasted. It's not about what we left behind. It's it's about the fact that we now see God and his goodness in in such a vibrant way. And there have been other moments in my life where Jesus has said, follow me, and I'm not going to share those with you because they're too personal. And, and if you saw my journey, if you understood my journey, you, you would question my sanity, you would question my morality because sometimes the path doesn't make sense. And maybe there have been some wrong steps along the way. I'm sure there have been. And yet I've been on this journey with God and and I just keep discovering more and more every day that he's good. See, see that's that's what a God-directed journey is all about. And if we could just, if we could just get over our preoccupation with our own goodness, if we could just put behind ourselves all of our questions, God, I want to know where and when and how and what are you calling me to do? And if we could just answer this invitation from Jesus where he says, come, follow me, then you know what will happen? You will know the goodness of God in a whole new way. And not only that, but you know what will happen here? We'll be so unlike so many other people not playing the goodness game, not, not about us. But instead, we'll be people who shine with the goodness of God. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that today, even though I'm a, I'm a person who sometimes is filled with doubt when, when you call to me and you say, follow me, uh, and sometimes I've, I've told you no, and sometimes I've made horrible missteps, and I confess that I confess that all to you, and, and you see it and you know it, and I just agree with what you see. Father, I thank you that today you're still speaking this invitation over me, over all of us, to follow you. And it's not about proving anything about ourselves to you or demonstrating our faithfulness or our worthiness. It's all about how you want to prove yourself to us as one who is so unthinkably good. Father, today give us the courage. And uh, the only way we're going to have that courage is if you give us your spirit. So give us your spirit who will give us the courage to be willing to follow you. No matter what. Anywhere you lead. Not so we can prove our goodness. but So that we can know, so that we can taste and see yours so that we can shine 
not our goodness, but your goodness to the world around us so that we can truly stand out. We ask this in Jesus. Amen.